<laughs> it wasn't. But I have had it happen. That's right. Where the sign was. That's right. <laughs> it's a joy to be with you and to be part of the journey. It's worth the trip. And it has been worth the trip from Springfield, Missouri. To be with you all today, about five hours and 15 minutes. Uh, I cover Missouri, Southern Illinois, and Kansas, Nebraska. I was in Lexington, Nebraska last week, uh, west of Lincoln for the Nebraska Convention. But um, it's a joy to be with you, and this morning, and a great experience. And uh, I've not been to Rock City. Um, I have not yet. I've, I've seen those too all over the place. But I have been on Route 66 because it goes right through our area there in Missouri and Joplin around Carthage and right around there if you've been to that part of Missouri. Uh, you know, I tell my wife and other folks I'm in misery. Uh, you know, come join us. We're in, we're in misery. But um, misery loves company and there we are. So, uh, but it's a joy to be with you tonight. I was a minister of discipleship 25 years full time. I'm still involved in the local church as a part-time discipleship minister, even with all my travels. You know I'm an empty nester when I say that. So, uh, uh, But uh, great to be with you. Tonight we're going to talk about Great Expectations. Now you've probably heard a book by that title before, and there is one certainly. But uh, Great Expectations, all about planting seeds for Sunday school growth. And... It's good to have great expectations, folks, and we need great expectations today for our Sunday school. And Dr. Elmer Towns, Mr. Sunday School, whom I've met from Liberty University, uh, actually said, you can expect what you inspect is the law of accountability. And so we ought to be inspecting what we're doing in Sunday school and seeing are we accomplishing the results and the desired results we're after, which is, to make disciples, right? Isn't it to make disciples according to Matthew 28, 19, and 20? It's not to find disciples. You know, we're always looking for disciples. Oh, if there's one out there, let's get them involved. God's called us to make them. Yeah. So they're in process, as you and I are in process, of becoming disciples of Christ. Because we haven't arrived, have we? No, not yet. Mm -mm. And you know, there are three great expectations that, that ought to be a part of every Sunday school class. That ought to be a part of Dorisville Sunday School. I believe this with all my heart. Number one, that you can expect a great Bible study experience every week. A great Bible study experience every week. The Bible says you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. And the Word of God ought to be central to your Sunday school experience. It ought to be alive. It ought to be vibrant. It ought to be the text. It ought to be the centerpiece of everything you do in the Sunday school experience. <coughs> now, I know we live in a day and time when, to some folks, Sunday school is no longer cool. And I'm cool with that, by the way. Well, some churches call it Bible study fellowship. Some churches call it fellowship groups. 
Some churches call it connect groups. Some call it Bible study groups. That's all. That's all well and fine. I mean, I go to all kinds of churches with all kinds of names for Sunday school. I visit all kinds. But the Sunday school brand is still around. And I want you to know that it's still healthy, it's still strong, and the principles cannot change. The uh, Flakes formula still works. And anything you see today in Sunday school that's working, I guarantee you it's a part of Flakes formula. Knowing your possibilities. Providing the space. Enlisting, training the workers. Expanding your organization and going after the people. That's what it's all about. And principles are more important than labels. In my book. Amen? It's the principles that are so important. So what do you expect? And I hope that that you understand there's a lot of pressure from two different different generations out there today about Sunday school. Because we're trying to create two deeper movements. There are two deeper movements out there. One of them is called small groups. You hear a lot about small groups today? Yes. Yes. But also, you may hear a lot about discipleship groups. Do you ever hear about those? Yes. So what you have is you have Sunday school in the balance. Which direction does our Sunday school go? Over on one side, what do you have? You have over here discipleship groups that are closed. Then you go to the other extreme on the other side, and you've got, here's biblical community you're trying to build. Intimacy with one another. We're relationships with one another. And we get to know what one another's heart is, our issues. Where we're struggling with sin. And what are we trying to accomplish? Somewhere in the middle. So that they don't become close. Because guess what happens in a Sunday school class? Over a period of about a year, you're going to go one way or the other, is what the tendency is. Most Sunday school classes don't even try to deal with the battles. Most of them are usually going to become either we're all about in-depth Bible study. Have you heard that term? Or we're all about the people in our class and the community we're building, the oneness and the intimacy. Are either of those bad? No. But in Sunday school, we're trying to keep it open to where new people can come in. Right? See, where they have an entry point. And you maintain an openness within the group so you receive new people into it. And that's where Sunday school is found to be wanting many times and in the balance. Because what's happened is, in most of the churches I go into, Sunday school groups are no longer open. Most of them, oh, they say they're open. Yeah, we're open to new people, sure. But they've already got so many established friendships, and I'm going to show you that in a moment, just how that works. That they've got so many established friendships and relationships, they don't have time to invest in some new people. So therefore, it doesn't remain open. But see, the strength of the Sunday school movement is found in the balance between biblical community and biblical content. 
And you know, for a, for a church to be vibrant, it's got to have a healthy balance, too, of worship and Sunday school. It's got to have, and what I'm finding in most churches, and is a part of transformational church process, by the way, one of the statements in the assessment tool that a church can take is, do you have a clearly defined discipleship process to move a person from salvation to spiritual maturity to significant ministry? Do you strongly agree, moderately, slightly agree, slightly disagree, moderately disagree, or strongly disagree? And you know what I'm finding in many of the churches? They don't have a clearly defined discipleship process. And see, for most churches, the first step will be what I call in the simple church. You know, Dr. Tom Rayner, our president, wrote the book Simple Church. And we analyzed 400 vibrant SBC churches. And in those churches, guess what? Well, step number two. Step one was vibrant worship, yes. But guess what step two was? Sunday school. That's right, Sunday school. 87.5% of vibrant churches use Sunday school. Or the equivalent is step two in their disciple-making process. Sunday school, folks, is the most effective assimilation tool you have in your church. And we, that's, we must assimilate them if they're going to move from salvation to spiritual maturity to significant ministry. Because you don't want them to sit, sink, soak, and sour, do you? You want them to serve. Right? Has God called us to sit in the pew? No, He's called us to engage in ministry. But if a church doesn't have an intentional process to see that that's accomplished, guess what happens? It doesn't get done by osmosis. Sunday school is the best step, too, from vibrant worship to Sunday school. In our research, Rayner's research in high expectations, we're talking about great expectations. Well, Dr. Rayner wrote a book called High Expectations. Folks who were new members after five years, worship only, 16% were still active, but those who went to worship and Sunday school, guess how many were still active? 83%. Now, is that a slight difference? Yeah. Does that say something about the importance of Sunday school? Just slightly. What could be simpler, folks, to accomplish the first two steps of your discipleship process with every member of the family on one trip to the church every single Sunday? That's pretty simple. Except getting it done, right? And... And that's what we've got to intentionally do. That we can't let people just stay in the pew. Now, there are three expectations of a great expectation Sunday school class. And I would encourage you to read the book. You can read the book. You can either download it online, buy it for a buck and a half from Lifeway. Either way, you download it free. But it's on Lifeway's website. Right there, but I'll tell you what a great expectations class does. It expects 
If you'll move that slide, that would be great. Yeah, three basic expectations. Expects new people and a great Bible study every week. I don't think that's asking for too much. Do you? Every week. Expects people to say yes. Can you say yes? Exactly. And then expects, thirdly, to plant new classes. Hear me. Guess is what the key is to your Sunday school growth. Guess what was the key to Little Flock's Sunday school growth? That's right. Judy knows. That's exactly it. That's how we grew the church. We more than tripled our organization. Preschool, children, youth and adults, we found a leader, we found a class. If we found a pocket where we weren't reaching someone, where we found a hole, a gap, we started a class. We were always looking to start new classes. Let's look at this verse. 1 Peter 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is by His great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is in the New Living Translation, by the way. Now we live with what? Great expectation. Is your Sunday school class living with great expectation of what God can do in and through your class to not only impact the kingdom through Harrisburg, Illinois, but even around the world? The impact that you can make for His kingdom? Notice the next verse here. In 2 Corinthians 9.10, The one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Folks, when you plant seed, God will give the increase. God will bring the harvest. And righteousness will prevail upon the body of Christ here at Dorisville. Believe me. But you've got to expect new people every week. Do you expect new people to be in your class every week? Or are you expecting we're going to just do what we've always done and we'll get what we've always got and we'll just satis- be satisfied with mediocrity and what we've always done? I hope you're expecting more than that. Are you expecting new people every week? Do you act like new people are coming every week? Because new people should be coming every week because you're inviting them. Are you inviting them? That's what those little cards were about here. Are you inviting them? And the people that are in your worship service and you you don't know whether they're in a Sunday school class or not and they look like they would fit into your group, are you inviting them? Are you inviting them all during the week as you are going making disciples? Folks, an open group 
expects new people every week. There are no throwaway Sundays. You may say, oh, well, come on back next Sunday. We were a little off this Sunday. Give us another chance. But yet I know very well, because I do all those mystery shopper assessments, as your pastor alluded to, that you don't have a second chance to make a good first impression. Well, I wish we did. You don't have second chances to make a good first impression. You've got to do it the first time. And you've got to do it every week, which means there's no off Sundays. That means I've got to pursue excellence in doing the best we possibly can as a class every single Sunday. That we're having a quality experience of Bible teaching, reaching, and caring and ministering to people. And if we're not doing those, folks, we're muddled in mediocrity. We're not doing those. Expect a great Bible study experience every week. Every individual Bible study session needs to be a complete and satisfying experience. Expect that experience every week. Build a culture of invitation every week. Who is it that I need to invite? What prospects, what individuals who could be involved in our class are we not ministering to, cultivating, we're not inviting? See why that every week may be somebody's first week. Hadn't it? Have you ever gone back to think about the first time you ever attended Dorisville Baptist Church? Just think about that. If you get that picture into your mind, then you will understand why it's important to attempt to excel at what you're doing every single week and there are no throwaway and off Sundays. Now, how can we do that? Number one, arrive early. Number one, arrive early. Number one, arrive early. Number one, arrive early. You say, why are you emphasizing that, Ken? Because any of you here greeters tonight? Anybody here do some greeting or do escort greeting? We've got some back here. I don't know if you've experienced this. I have. Where I have taken individuals to a Sunday school class where there was an empty room. Now, how do you like going into empty rooms when you're expecting people to be there? I've even been to a room in a church doing a mystery shopper assessment where when I came in, there were 25 chairs in the room. There was two people in the room. I didn't even get escorted there. I had to find it. They said, oh, it's down. Take a left. Another left. You'll get there eventually. Okay. Thanks. Anyway, so I get there. There's two people in the room. So what do I do? I non-verbally beg, please talk to me. So I go and sit by them. That's how I did it. Didn't say anything. Just went and sat beside them. I figure they must be regular tenders. They're not guests, I wouldn't think. They didn't say a word. Nothing. And I waited for 15 minutes for Bible study to start. I got there at a quarter to nine. 
Now, that church, I can tell you, has turned around its whole culture. It was a very disturbing time I had with the staff. I mean, they got real discouraged. But that church now is relocated, and they're thriving, and they're friendly. And that's why I know is because one of our church architecture guys at Lifeway went there, and he spoke about it. And the pastor looked at me and smiled because he knew what I'd gone through. And folks, every place ought to be an inviting culture that pervades the congregation. Why? Because Jesus invites us to His table and to feed and to learn and to grow and sit at His feet. And folks, some guests are going to arrive early. Yes, some guests are going to arrive early, so be early. And then something about new people every week, too. Show some teeth. Sometimes I go to Sunday school and I go to worship and I see these people and they're not smiling. They look like they drank a big jar of pickle juice before they came to church that morning. Smile. Aren't you glad to be in God's house? Don't you expect and anticipate God's going to do something new and fresh in our lives here today? If you don't, then why are you here? To do the same old, same old? To, always, to do what you've always done and to get what you've always got? No, that's insanity. God's not called us to that. So, friends, no, it starts in the parking lot as well. Now, this morning, there wasn't a parking lot greeter that greeted me. Nobody greeted me in the parking lot. But I can tell you the church that is doing guest service as well have a person out in the parking lot. As soon as they get out of the car, they're greeting them. The first 10 to 12 minutes that a person is on your church property, they are making a decision already, am I coming back? You say, that's just church growth gobbledygook, Ken. Come on. No, I've tested it. No, I have done post-interviews with people to find out. Were they consciously thinking about it? No, but in the back of their minds, they were. That's what they told me. And yes, it was huge. Did these people really want to get to know me? Were they really interested in me as a person? And those first ten minutes are critical that they establish some relationships from the door greeter, the parking lot greeter, to the door greeter, to the welcome center host or hostess, to the uh, escort greeter, to finally getting to the Sunday school class greeter, and then meeting the teacher. Now, how many connections is that? Six? Something like that? In a, in a period of ten? Ten minutes? I know a church that's doing that. Okay. I know a church that actually has got somebody in the parking lot telling them up front, this, this person's a guest. We have helped them park, and they're on their way to you. Treat them right. Another person's escorting them up there, talking to them right now. And they actually have a walkie-talkie to tell the people the Welcome Center guests are coming. Treat them right. Now, do you think that's intentional? You better believe it. Do you find that in very many churches? No. You'll find that in about 1%, if not less than 1%. But folks, that means we want to get to know you. We're interested in you. 
Signs, signs everywhere, sign. You need to have signs everywhere. Because just like today, I parked in the wrong place, as the pastor indicated. But that sign indicated that was the place for me to go. So I didn't know any better. Signs are important. Inside signage as well as outdoor signage. And the importance of the doors. We just talked about the door greeters and the Sunday school greeters and the best rooms for kids. I know a church, Long Hollow Baptist in Hendersonville, Tennessee, the staff gave up their offices in order to expand the preschool. That's right. Because they weren't going to be able to expand the preschool unless they relocated. And, they, and the staff didn't get the premium space. When we moved, when we relocated Little Flock, we left our offices in the old building, and they were some of the dingiest looking offices you've ever seen. But we waited four to five years before we built offices at the new plant. We had to drive a mile up to the new church, back and forth. I mean, whatever it takes, folks. We had that kind of mentality, a little flock, but we felt like we had to model that as a staff. If that's what it's going to be, we've got to model it and lead. And that's how you lead, you model it. You model it. So, expect a great Bible study experience every week by sowing the seed of the Word of God. Luke eight eleven says, how do you do that? You invest in people. You invite people. You involve people. And you incorporate people. So you invest and you invite. And if you invest in people, your invitation, believe me, God's going to utilize. God will utilize it. And a great Bible study experience must have teaching that's more than just for information. The teaching needs to be for transformation. Hear me? Teaching for what? Transformation. Not information. We're in information overload. We've even got more information on the Bible on the Internet. I can take you to all the sites that are there. And they're wonderful. Should we not have knowledge and understanding of the Bible? Certainly. I'm not discounting that at all. But what I'm saying is we know a whole lot more than we're applying today, folks. And we need to spend a whole lot more time on application to lead towards spiritual transformation. How would it change if we moved our focus from information to transformation in our classes? Do you think our churches would be different? We'd be saying, yes. Yes, Lord, I will repent. Yes, Lord, I will obey. And we would be seeing expectation and anticipation every single Sunday. Will you come to Sunday school? Yes. Will you join our Sunday school? Yes. And you think, why open enrollment still, Ken? Why should we still have open enrollment? I'll tell you why. Because we belong before we believe and become. You ask the young adults of today, many even of the median and senior adults, they want to feel like they belong. And once they belong, then they'll be willing to consider believing. And once they believe, guess what? They'll become and they'll behave. 
What have we said for a long time? Behave, believe, and then you'll belong. Have we not? Are we getting amens? But folks, we've got to allow people to belong. Did Jesus allow people to belong? Why, sure He did. Samaritan woman. Zacchaeus. Sinners like that. Yeah. We've got to embrace them. We've got to invest in them. We've got to say you can belong. Even before they come to the point of repenting and trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's ultimately what's got to happen. But we for too long said you've got to behave first before you can belong. Would you prepare for your study next week? Yes. We need to prepare for class. We need to expect people to say yes to that. And to participate in class and pray for lost people. Long Hollow also Baptist in Hendersonville, Tennessee, on the walls of their student classrooms are the names of lost people. I'm talking about the walls. They wrote all over them. The names of lost people. And then, I've, I've even got slides on it, and there are pictures or, or of those names and how they have circled the names of those who come to know Christ. And as they do... There is a visible picture every single week of those who are coming to Him. Are we that concerned about people? And when you run out of space on the wall, just paint over it and start again. That's what this church did. Would you serve as a class leader? Would you say yes to service within the class, beyond the class, in the community? Whether it's as a care group leader, an outreach leader, a door greeter, one who manages getting the donuts and coffee ready, whatever it takes. The prayer leader, the missions leader, the party leader. Because see, the more leaders there are, the more ownership is in the class. And the third area we've got to expect is we've got to expect classes to reproduce. Would you help start a new class? Yes. The Bible says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The incredible law, folks, of kingdom growth is you've got to start new units. How long should a class wait? How will you know it's time? That's always a question I get, you know. Oh, Ken, we don't want to mess up this great fellowship we have in our holy huddle, our little group here. Please don't ask us to, to break out of that. Well, there are symptoms of unproductive classes. Number one is nesting. I'm an empty nester, so I don't know if I'm nesting. I don't think I'm nesting any longer, but I, I never have much in, in classes and groups, but we tend to nest. Now, do we need to find a comfort zone in the group? Sure. I'm not saying we shouldn't. 
But how long? You've got to get out of the nest sometime, don't you? Amen? You can't stay in the nest. There's a time to launch out. You know, and it's protecting. Because I, I feel protected there. And it's also maintaining, though, too. We maintain the status quo. We don't launch out into new ventures. We tend to get established, and we all sit, seem soak, and sour. And you got the picture. Let me tell you about relationships, the powerful force in group dynamics. Do you notice this group here? In a group of two, there's one relationship. Right? That's not real hard, is it? Let's look at the next slide. Look at now. And as a class grows, you've got a group of six there, what? Fifteen two-way relationships in a group of six. Now things are getting pretty busy, aren't they? Oh, whoa! Now they got really busy in a group of ten there, 45 two-way relationships. And you wonder why that new person can't break into this class. Because we've got all the relationships we can handle. Forty-five. I'm just trying to get enough time to invest in those. And you wonder why a new, new unit isn't needed? Well, see, that's what a new person walks into when you have a group of ten. Now, if you have a group of ten, you may not. You may be back in that group of six. But see, what happens is we get this group of ten. Here's what happens. Jesus had twelve and one betrayed Him. All these connections. And that's what happens, see, because new, new people, see, are more attracted to newer classes than they are to older established classes. And guess why? Duh. That's the reason. And if we don't create more classes and develop, not just find, but develop more leaders, what happens? The church does not grow. Amen? I have not seen a growing church yet that all they had was just these humongous classes. And they built it upon the current organization and they never expanded the organization. They never started new units. I've never seen a church yet that did that. If you know of one, tell me about it. I don't know of one. But see, newer people are more attracted to newer classes because everyone in the class is new. No one's trying to penetrate one of those networks that I just showed you. Now, the life cycle of your class is usually going to go this way. Phase one is going to be birth and infancy where it's forming. In the first two to three sessions, you're getting to know each other, trust one another, get to know what you like, dislike, do some icebreaker activity, heart warmers, to kind of get to know each other. Phase two is childhood where you're norming. You're not forming any longer, you're norming. Okay, six to seven sessions, you're building that into your group and you're, you're growing. But here we get to five to six sessions and you become teenage where you're conforming. 
You know, teenage, teenagers go through peer pressure to conform. Well, that's what happens in a class as well. And then phase four in maturity, what happens? We're really starting to gel. We're starting to move. We've gotten leadership. We've expanded our base. And we're really starting to gel as a group and accomplish what God's desired for us in these 30 sessions. So we're performing. We're making an impact. We're making a difference for the kingdom. But then what happens? In phase five, we start on old age and demise where we're reforming. In those five to six sessions, and then within one year, folks, the group has reached its peak. And it's time to start birthing another class. Which should have been the design and the desire of the leader from the outset, from the time they were enlisted to be a leader. It wasn't to build my kingdom. We're here to build God's kingdom, folks. This isn't about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. So what do we do? We've got to enlarge the organization. The Bible says enlarge the place of your tent. And let your tent curtains be what? Stretched out. He didn't say, oh, keep them narrowly, right? Don't hold back. What are we doing when we say no to planting new classes? We're holding back. Lengthen your ropes, drive your pegs deep, for you will spread out where? To the right and to the left. Don't be afraid. Oh, we're fearful. Oh, but we start that new class. Where you'll not be ashamed. You'll not be put to shame. Don't be humiliated for you will not be disgraced. Be bold. Be strong. The Lord your God is with you. Now, who will volunteer for this new class? You find, if I could find and then develop a leader, I started a class. I shared that with you earlier. You need to do the same thing. It ought to be a part of your strategy. Those who want missionary adventure. Those who are willing to launch out on a new venture. And you've got people in your church that way. You don't go to Haiti and you don't go to other places around the world and not have a missionary heart. And I know there are people here that do. You do. That's part of who you are as a church. You're a very missional church. When I see this church, that's what I think about. And you need to be that right where you're at as well. Keep doing what you're doing around the world. But you've got to begin also think about how can we even be more missional here? How can we expand the base of our small group Sunday school ministry? Who are some other people who volunteer for the new class? Those who like Bob's teaching style better than yours. They're willing to go out and to be a part of a new class because... The teaching style is different. Isn't wrong. It's just different. Got me? There's a big difference. And then relational discomfort. Some people need just a gracious reason, a way to leave graciously. They just need a way to do that. Because I've seen all these. These are not, this isn't philosophy, folks. This is practical because I see it. And people told me why they left. So I know. 
We have to ask ourselves, do we have space for a new class? Do we have a gap, an age group or a life stage? Is our class training leaders or are we training spectators? Who will step up to start the new class? Do we have prospects to contact? Will your class sponsor assist them, help them in a new birth? Even throw a birthday party for them. Oh. Throw a birthday party for the new class. That's right, because it's a new birth. Isn't it? Celebrate it. Talk about it. Make it big. Let the whole church know that this is a part of who we are in our culture. Do you expect God to send newcomers every week? Do you expect participants to receive a fresh word from the Lord every week? Do you expect members to say yes? Or are you and your class like that pilot on the airplane who, who flips the switch and puts it onto autopilot? Is that where your class is right now? Is it on autopilot? Hmm. Yeah, we're just going the same direction, doing the same thing. We're on cruise control. Or will it get reinvigorated with energy, excitement, enthusiasm about getting in on where God's working and joining Him on His mission to expand your Sunday school? Can your class say, or will you ultimately say, we've never seen anything like this, like the crowds did in Mark 2.12? We've never seen anything. And lastly, I'd like to read as our benediction from Jude 20 and 25. But you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on some who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Isn't that what we're called to do? Folks, your Sunday school class is a hospital for the wounded. It's not a country club for the spiritually elite. Did you hear me? Your Sunday school class is to be a hospital for the wounded, not a country club for the spiritually elite. Now to Him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. And amen.